0: What's up? It's Casey, and happy Monday morning. You know how much we love a good Monday, but not more than we love the start of a new collective where we get to meet all of you guys who are studying. It's so exciting, and if you're out there and you're studying for your BCBA or BCABA exam and you need a community of people to help you and keep you accountable, no fear because Study Notes is here. Leah and Casey are here. We've got you. We start April 4th. There is still time to sign up. Join us for the summer cohort starting April 4th. We run through June 8th. We'll be meeting every Monday and Wednesday night at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you don't want to miss it because I'm telling you what, if you like the podcast, you're going to love the collective. So head over to www.studynotesavia.com and sign up for the summer collective. It's behavior,
1: bitches.
2: Hey, guys. It's Liat. And Casey. And we are here today with episode 113. (laughs) Casey, what's it
0: going to be? Okay. Ready? Episode 113. Today, we have one of my fave past guests. Lucky me.
2: Meow. Casey, I love it. So we have a guest today. Mm Mm-hmm. That we're very excited about. And we've had them before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you only get to come on twice if you're that amazing. True dad. But before we go into our guest today, you know we have to hear a review about Casey. So, Casey, <laughs> please give us our review of
0: the day. Okay. This is actually I'm kidding, not about Casey, about anyone. All right. This is coming in from the name is hard. It's like Ash G-F-G-A-Ashka. Okay, that is awesome. Um It says you're the best, five stars. Love these ABA queens. I've learned so much from them while getting laughs in. I've listened to many ABA podcasts to supplement my coursework, and I have learned so much in this podcast more than any other. It's not bland and does not make me tune out while still being so informative and easy to digest. Thank you for that review, and I have to say- Thank you. Thank you. That means so much to us, and not a hit on other podcasts because I love all the other podcasts. I listen to them all the time. So I actually don't listen to us, which is actually really funny. (laughs) But anyways, um, all right. So today we have someone who was on in 2020. I can't believe we're in 2022. Um, it was episode wow. 54 and it was with Jim Moore and it rhymed then. So Jim, I'm not even going to go into an introduction cause we've had you on before. Um, you can tell everyone a little bit about you, but there's so much I want to catch up. It's like, where are our guests now? Where are you now? Where's Jim? So welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me back and congratulations on, uh, gosh, that's more than double the episodes yeah, you know. guys had the last time I was on and the positive feedback that you're getting. I know my oldest daughter absolutely loves
0: Alex. Everything we about love you. you guys,
1: and uh, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking such good care of her mm-hmm. and, and helping mentor her along the line. You know, we just all need, mm-hmm. you know, the mentoring should just never stop, absolutely. right?
0: Absolutely. We've been talking a lot about that. A
1: lot. I've been doing that. this for 25 years now, and the the more I study human behavior, I, I think I'm at the point now where I'm starting to realize I don't know very much.
0: Yeah. And, you,
1: you know, and um, I just always sometimes am just, I, I, don't, I don't know how I react when, because like we see a lot of folks in our field, and it's like, man, they seem to really have it figured out. And, you know, I'm doing really good work but I still at times will sit around and say, you know, we don't really understand, you know, some of the big things that plague our world and and you start to think about all these things. But so, uh, but anyway, thank you again for, for taking care of her. But uh, now I'm in Atlanta, well, I'm outside of Atlanta, Georgia. We're um, OTP outside the perimeter.
2: Okay. um,
1: With Apollo behavior. I'm the chief clinical officer. So since I appeared with you guys last I've had you know we're kind of talking about um you know a little bit of mindfulness and self-care and taking care of yourself while you're in this career well the pandemic since I was on the show last has really been um a stressful but also wonderful time for me I um, went through a divorce mm-hmm. got remarried I have a new son Absol- um yeah, Axel and two wonderful uh, stepchildren, Atlas and Kaya. I've changed jobs, moved from Mississippi. You know, we fought a good fight in Mississippi for a long time. Mm-hmm. But um, I had an opportunity to come to a market mm-hmm. where maybe we could grow services a little larger, impact more lives. So uh, I came here to Apollo Behavior back in June of last year. Mm-hmm. Had, the, had some of the most horrific moving experiences of my life. I
0: remember seeing that on, on I Facebook. Work- <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I kind of uh, possibly <laughs> went a little overshare on Facebook with that. You we know, it's kind it. of like one of the things that uh, you, I talk Casey. to.
0: Come on, I do it all the time.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when you when you when you've really tried to dedicate yourself to practicing mindfulness and present moment awareness, your breaking point doesn't go away. You just kind of push your tolerance. To a certain point, but when when enough aversive stimuli converge on anybody, I mean, gosh, we're just human, right? Yeah. And that was right. definitely that was definitely you know when you're when you're in the situation where your furniture is literally being held hostage, you know, for money. <laughs> it's like wow, you I've just never some experienced this negotiation before. There, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So uh, a lot is going on. A lot of great things. We're uh, we're trying to accomplish something here at Apollo. Um, that I think is really important which is obviously having the, the highest level of clinical quality possible but right now when you look across the space a lot of times that those clinics are associated with the best quality are very small
0: yeah when you uh, start which scaling is, is when inherent. you lose it
1: right so we're trying to kind of take a, a slow burn to scaling and um, we're, we're kind of hiring BCBAs it's like we had uh, I believe, four BCBAs here when I started. And we're now up to 13. Um, wow. right, right now, only six of those have full caseloads. And so they're all getting, um, you know, not necessarily – I don't think of it as supervision, but just intensive mentoring. Uh, I've been working directly with these BCBAs since we hired them. And it's been really good to see folks who may not have ever been told, hey, you're a scientist – you're just working in an applied setting, and why don't, we, why don't we approach this work like scientists do and to really see them not only um, really get excited about that approach, but then see the enthusiasm they have when they see the outcomes, improved outcomes. Uh, imp- they're becoming more efficient and more effective in what they do, and it's so rewarding because, you know, a lot of folks, they just know they want to help kids, And they love behavior analysis. And, you know, maybe they didn't have the best training experience or the best practicum experience. And so we're really taking a dedicated approach towards mentoring and giving them lots of access to me. We just hired an outstanding clinical director from the New England area for one of our clinics. And so now I'm starting to build a little inner circle posse. I'm talking to another PhD that we're negotiating with bringing on. So it's really exciting times. But it is it is an inherent challenge to keep that quality control uh, across all locations, and it really all comes down, in my opinion, to training and how thorough do you uh, approach your training. So that's kind of what's going on with me. Um, I've been remarried now for almost five months.
0: Congratulations.
1: Uh, uh, well, yes, it's 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 uh, it's been so wonderful. Um, You know, my wife, Natalie, is not a behavior analyst, but she's worked with animals and reptiles and all sorts of critters her whole life. So she's got a lot of just um, kind of naturally developing behavior analytic skills. She doesn't know a lot of our jargon, but sometimes I'll look at her and say, wow, the way she deals with our kids is a lot more effective than the way I do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) May may I say we overanalyze things a lot and complicate them. Um, for someone supposed to be so pragmatic in our field, like this morning, even Liat was doing something. She was like trying to scrape her car with ice and get to a meeting. And I was like, why don't you just have the meeting right where you are at your house? Why do you need to go to the other one? She's like, you're so pragmatic case. And I'm like, we just complicate things in life.
1: Yeah. Isn't it you know, it's like, I was telling my team the other day, it's like, um, about how important it is to remain pragmatic, but to also prioritize. So I have this acronym I got from the old Notre Dame football coach, Lou Holtz, which is when, what's important now. We're always talking about that because we have a tendency as behavior analysts To see all of our problems, our problems, our clients' problems, our team's problems, they're all nails that are equivalent. And we want to bring out every hammer of ABA to drive every single nail. But what's happening is while we're driving this one nail that might not be vital, another nail is going up in flames because it was really a more pressing problem. And I know that that's been something I've really had to discipline myself with, you know, it's like I'll tell you one of my stupid pet peeves, and I don't know why. Uh, you know, I've I've always tried to uh, publish as much as I can as a practitioner, and so I like for our graphs to be what I call publishable ready. Mm-hmm. And we're using Central Reach, and they are just not publishable ready. So a lot of times I'll take data and export it out and use it in Excel, and I'll spend so much time just on the initial formatting. Yeah. You know, and just getting everything to look just right. And then, you know, I've got this meeting coming up and I've got this person needing to see me and I've got this to do, I've got this CE to do. And sometimes uh, I have to just say, hey, what's important now? Uh, And another thing that I've done that's been really great is uh, through through, uh, my experiences on the BACB board, uh, I've really gotten to see how Jim Carr manages that team. And he, he... does a lot of their management based on a book called Getting Things Done. And he gave actually gave the board members a training a couple of months ago. And it's just really useful to say, wow, I shouldn't just try to get this done whenever I have a minute. If I wanted to get it done and I have a deadline, I should really put these things into my calendar. I should have other management systems. I should have. I should allow myself to kind of have big creative ideas, but I need a way to kind of, mm-hmm because I'll have a big idea, I'll say it in front of our team, and if somebody didn't write it down, they'll come back to me a few days later and say hey, what was that backward chaining thing that you were talking about and I'll be like, I have no idea I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. yeah, and so yeah we de- I definitely uh get the uh what was it paralysis by analysis
0: yes um, oh, not 100%. so
1: much now as I did early early in my career early in my career it was it was really bad where I was doing like a lot of young BCBAs going into the office early, coming home late, doing work at home. Mm-hmm. And now I really try to be disciplined to have a normal eight to five work day and then go home and have as, as non-behavioral analytic of a life as I can.
0: That's really important. <laughs> I think that we all struggle with that. We, I feel like the universe is, I know mean, this is very mentalistic, but it's like connecting us with so many people who are, Kind of experiencing exactly what we're experiencing, and I don't know if it's just a shift from the field is shifting into a more you know humanistic approach and like um, mindfulness and acceptance commitment and you know not being such robots when we do things. Um, which when I remember my first, I, I loved being an RBT. I absolutely loved it, and it made me fall in love with the science, which is why I went back and got my master's. And then I remember, of course, this is kind of the the mistake that agencies make, in my opinion, is that they can't wait till you get those four letters and then bam, they are now you're making money for them and they don't give a shit about your training and they're going to throw you in there with a full caseload and you're managing all these people. I went from being an RBT to immediately managing my entire clinic and I was just one of them the day before. So like it was really awkward. There was no training. There was nothing. And I remember I was definitely paralysis by analysis. I found myself in a role that I was so, um, I, I went from being, prepared. yeah, but I went from being like very um, able to connect with families and able to connect with the clients to, I don't know what those four letters did, but all of a sudden I was like, dot, 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 this has to be done this way. And I have to have the graphs and where is the data? And why don't you have your stopwatch and timer out? And I was like, I hated who I became. And I was like, whoa. And now I just like, I wish I could tell that Casey three years ago, like what I know now and how like And that's that's a big part of mentorship that I'm trying to do as well with people that reach out to me that are in that position is how to tell them, hey, the world's not going to end, and again, those nails that you're putting down they're going to keep popping up. So, and you told me a great story, Jim, when we were talking that you went into an interview. We were training, I think, someone, and you were it was a a mom who had just found out a diagnosis, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So t- tell
0: us about that a little
1: bit. Yeah, so you know, you go in, you know, and you're thinking about all these to dos you have to do. It's like, um, in in this was in the state of Mississippi, and they have some wonky regulations for, for some of the payers where, like, all of your assessment has to be done on one day, which is just crazy because you know, so
2: kids, crazy. Kids
1: like, some kids sometimes have just a different agenda, especially the first time they come into your clinic. So we were doing an intake with a mom, and um, you know she had literally just got her diagnosis like less than two weeks. And I was sitting in with one of my BCBAs, and they had kind of all their to dos, and they were they were not really intending to be uh, you know un- non-empathetic, but I just kept looking at the mom. And just, and I finally just said, "Hey, can I ask you what what does this diagnosis mean to you? Mm-hmm. You just got it. Tell me, tell me where you're at with this." And she just kind of broke down and said, I, "I hate this word. I hate autism. I hate that it's here. I don't know what it is, and I just wish that it hadn't ruined my son's life." And it's like, "Whoa, hold on a second. So she's kind of like, you know. I think sometimes the Kubler-Ross stages of grief get overgeneralized because that was with, you know, um, terminal cancer patients. But still, she had, she was really dealing with the reality, and not even she had lots of, of course, emotions. But you could tell that, like a lot of our parents, she had a lot of misinformation that can come from internet searches and just a lot of confusion. And I just had to pause. Okay we're not doing this today. We're just going to sit. We're going to talk. And I really just wanted to communicate to her that, listen, the, the child that you loved mm-hmm. that was yours, that you cared so much about when you walked into that diagnostic office, was the same child that walked out with you. That, that label didn't really change. instantly change anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew your, your son had some challenges. You were trying your best, and you had gotten to that diagnostic Evaluation in your search for answers, and you now you have some answers, and so now, and so then I just started talking to her a little bit about, okay, what is you know like, do what are we to you? Mm -hmm. All I was told was I have to have ABA. Okay, what what do you understand about ABA? What is it that you think this is? Because it's a therapy, and so really I just had to tell my BCB, okay, we're just going to reschedule this entire appointment. Because, you know, mom was just dealing with a lot of things and a lot of emotionalities, which is normal. And I think that that's really important. And, you know, I get it. I get it from, you know, you you meet with your your, uh, financial folks and they're like, you know, you just we just lost eight billing units and you're going to redo it now? And how are we going to? And I get it. You know, I get those things. But I think longer term, and that's what I really love about our approach here at Apollo is that. You know, we're not going to let short-term uh, earnings affect our long-term effectiveness. Yeah. You know, and when a parent is, is just hurting to that degree, you got to yeah. even and, – and, and then the scientist in me seriously questions what kind of outcomes would I have even gotten. You could even see the child was feeding off of his mother's emotionality. Mm-hmm. She was upset. Now, he was very upset. And to me, it would just would have been if we would have continued with that assessment, it would have solely been to Bill Ford.
0: Totally.
1: And that's just not something I'm willing to do. No. You know, um, I so don't I think that's fair to the I, family or to that BCBA.
2: No, not at all. So I have a question. Do you think that? Because I mean, I love what you're saying that you guys would rather like lose available hours and have like long term effectiveness. Is that because you're there and you're making those decisions and you're you're the uh, you're the model for that? Because the reason I'm saying that is because you know, especially lately we've been and I don't want to veer off topic, but
0: no, it's important. I know what you're going. I know where you're going. Like, it's important. So
2: yeah, so I had I had a student send me a message the other day, and the message was.
0: I'm actually even going to read it just for the sake of... it's an, I, And you know, I didn't think that this conversation was going to go this way with Jim because we we have a whole thing to talk about, like mindfulness and stuff, but I'm feeling so pulled to it because of what recently we have reached out to all of our students. And I wanted, you know, we we ignite passion in them and we tell them how great the field is and we want them to pass their test. And I just, I find a lot of them... Do it and then they get stuck in really shitty situations, and they would rather go work at Target because they're so unhappy. That's literally a message we got the other day. I got a message from a student. We had,
2: I don't know, maybe like four, five collectives ago, um, maybe like two years I, I don't know, two years yet, but whatever. She sends me a good thing. Legit question: How do I find a BCBA mentor? I was like, "Wow, we get this so much. She goes, yes, I'm dying for help and support. Financially, I can't leave my job right now. Changing my career would be too risky. My clinical director sucks, Liat. Gives me nothing. Zero support, no feedback, no positive words, nothing. I'm 100% on my own. My supervision sucks. I literally feel like starting over. Um, and then going out, your, going out there on your own is fucking depressing. Like I almost changed careers recently because I felt so lost and alone. It's so bad. I almost gave up. I try and research and watch YouTube and do what I can to grow. But as, t- but as time goes on, I feel like I know less. I think tears we all know flow less. <laughs> e- Tears flow every day. Um, so I actually posted this screenshot. I mean, I crossed out her name. And I posted it on Instagram. And I said, what do you guys think about this? When I say we literally had over like 300 messages coming in being like, I feel like I wrote that to you. And like the lack of mentorship and support within our field. And what I'm wondering is, is the situation like you just spoke about is not unique. You know, a lot of parents are coming in with that. But let's say a lot of new BCBAs don't feel like they necessarily have the clout or the power against, let's say, the person who owns the business to be like, look, I know we got approved for these assessment hours, but like this is not going to work right now.
1: Well, I think to answer the the original question, and and unfortunately I hear that all the time. And um, when I give talks, I'm like, you know, reach out on social media makes it so much easier to find someone who can mentor uh, and then just try and, and multiple mentors, you know, it's like if, if all the mentoring uh, requests came to me, that wouldn't be very effective mentorship, you know, because I would just be answering questions all day. I have multiple mentors. But uh, Apollo's approach, um, I mean, I definitely have that mindset, but it was really our CEO. I have to be kind of tell the Apollo story just real quick because I was very skeptical. Are they I think relatively like lot, new? They're, they're oh, like barely a year old.
2: Because I actually think that I spoke, what, who's the founder?
1: His name is Kim Dean.
2: I think I've spoken to him at some point, but okay.
1: So Kim came from the energy industry and he was just at a point in his life, he was a you know, private equity investor for a long time. And he was at a point in his life where his analogy is, I didn't want to be the owner in the, in the press box anymore. I wanted to be the quarterback on the field. And so he started looking for service areas that really, you know, where he could really make an impact. And he did a tremendous amount of research on autism and applied behavior analysis, started attending conferences, met Sarah Troutman as part of that, went to her boot, her business boot camp. And really kind of, I mean, um, when you hear him kind of talk about a non-behavior analyst's Perspective of the field, it's, it's shockingly accurate. And so, you know, he sees that we kind of have this bifurcated field. Now you have these large big box companies that have lots of advancement opportunities, lots of, you know, salary, the salaries are great, but there's not a lot of support. And so as they grow and grow and grow, uh, sentiments like what you're, text message expressed start to grow. The culture starts to become very negative and that impacts your outcomes. Or you have these kind of small, what we call mom and pop BCBA owned clinics. Maybe they get to two locations, but usually they're just one location. Uh, They're doing for the most part, great work, but they have, they're strapped on resources. So I know I can't tell you how many clinic owners I know personally who didn't even get paid for the first couple of years of their clinic so that they could pay their folks. Um, And so they're doing this great work, but their impact is limited because they don't have the resources to expand and to kind of uh, disseminate behavior analysis in their area. And so Kim's goal has really been to try and get the best of both of those worlds, have a company that has tons of resources, tons of support, advancement opportunities, competitive pay, but that also strives for the highest level of um, uh, clinical outcomes. And we spend a tremendous amount of time in attending to our culture to make sure that folks feel supported, that they're not feeling like they're out on an island. You know, I was talking to my clinical director yesterday, and she said, you know, it's real interesting here because a BCBA technically doesn't need supervision. Right, and so the amount of mentoring she she's been in the field for uh, I think eight or nine years. She's still fairly new with us because I've just never seen an agency take such an aggressive approach to mentoring.
0: Kudos to you guys, seriously.
1: Well, we're trying. It's you know it's hard. It, you know it is. It's hard. You know, and so at first, and so Kim really found me. Okay, um, and it was you know I Sarah. actually
2: just looked up. I actually have a message with him from. December 19th, 2019 and it looks like we had a phone call. No way.
1: That was that was probably during his uh scavenging for information phase, which he he's really really good of at. Of course you
0: you would have talked to this guy. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> ask him if he remembers
2: me. <laughs> that's too funny.
1: Oh, I definitely will. I definitely will. Yeah, wow, that's funny. But uh and so, you know, I we have, you know, it it if I could just say something to the graduate students who listen. Yeah. It's that, hey, I know that you're you're ready to go. You're ready to get in the field. You're probably more than ready to start making some money. Just don't go to the highest payer.
0: Right. 100%. Really
1: try. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing multiple interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, you're I'm wanted. You guys are all
0: wanted. Okay? You're highly wanted. That's right.
1: It's like. If you look at the burning glass report that just came out from the BACB, it's like a five thousand percent increase in demand over the last twelve years. It's crazy, you know. And so there's multiple jobs out there, Mm -hmm. and you know I find that, um, you know, one of the things I used to do when I taught at the the university level a lot is, you know, there's not a course, a lot of programs on you know, uh, teach that's like entrepreneurship and interviewing and things like that. And, you know, it's like, you know, you can ask questions, you know, you should make them, you know, sell you as much as you're trying to sell yourself. But, you know, I've probably, you know, interviewed close to 30 BCBAs since I've been here in Apollo. And so many of them ask nothing. They asked nothing about what's my initial caseload going to look like? What level of support can I expect? I know.
2: I actually think that we need to offer, like we did do some classes like that about interviewing mm-hmm. study notes. We, we have them some. on our
1: YouTube
0: for free. Like, we need to update them because that's a huge thing is um, I've interviewed a lot of people for jobs and study notes too, with Liat, and it amazes me that when they don't have any questions, I'm like, and that's it. And they're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, what? No, Katie, it's just
2: because they love us so much. They're like, whatever it is, I'll just <laughs> – Shut up. No, but seriously, actually, funny story. Um, I'm not going to say the company name, but there's a very large company across America. And I interviewed with them before I took my first BCBA job at another company. This large company offered me more and vacations and this and that. And they thought it went – I guess. And then I decided to go with another company that was much smaller. I was also just whatever. I was excited for it. So I I got a call back from the CEO, actually. And he was like, I just really want to know because apparently, like, they really thought you were going to come work with us and you didn't. Would you mind giving me the feedback as to why you didn't? And I said, sure. They didn't ask me one question about any of my, I worked so hard to become a BCBA. They don't know if I was working at a nail salon the day before. They didn't ask me one thing, <laughs> like clinically, to know that I was a behavior analyst. Like I came home from my interview that day, and at this point, Ellie Ron, like literally, barely spoke English. That's my husband. I was like, dude, you could have got this job. I swear. I was like,
0: like that. Was you so, literally, yeah.
2: yeah. And so, I didn't know that they took this so to heart that it was about. Was it a year ago maybe? Someone was like, I got to tell you a funny story. Oh, actually, it was Carol who worked with us at mm-hmm. Study Notes she, because she was like looking for some job or something. And she was like, you know, they told me, I like they were like, oh, you do work with Liat, whatever. They're like, funny story about her. She actually changed our entire hiring process because she gave us some feedback. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize it was – but I remember being like – the fact that this company like I went there and they're basically like, okay, so like- When can you start? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I was like, screw that. I've been studying so hard and and like working so hard to become this. And they didn't even ask anything about that. And it was like a little concerning.
1: Yeah. You know, I I think that there's so much about- you know, students tend to just look at the salary. They don't ask about benefits. They don't ask about paid time off. Or ask about leave.
0: onboarding. What is the training process look o- like?
1: What's onboarding look like? Do you have an HR department, and how mature is that department? Um, you What's know? your retention and
0: rate of your staff, like
1: all of that. That's right. And see, these are things that we lead with in our interviews because you know it's like, hey, we're we're kind of small right now. We have three clinics and we're only one of them is really you know fully matured with the census so you know we're we're a little bit we're we're not a low paying agency but we're definitely not up where some of these large companies are right now in terms of our pay but we want to show them all the other benefits that you, they can expect from coming here and our plan to accelerate their salary as we continue to grow but you know an, another thing that i think that i wish Working BCBA's did more often is you know most of these large companies, including Apollo, they advertise on Indeed and Glassdoor and a lot of these sites. And current employees are not regu- regularly going in and reviewing their company. And I think that's important, yeah. you know, and not just not just to complain about you know yeah. how terrible they are. It's like hey, if we're a great organization, go and give feedback so that others can see like hey. Mm-hmm. This, they're not just saying this is a great place to work. The people who actually work here agree with that. Yeah, yeah. and so that people you, are and, so quick to
2: leave negative review. I mean, think about it. Like, I just look at MOS, right? Like, let's say you move, like you did a move with a company. The move went great. Whatever. Like, you're done. Why would you need? You know, right? But like your move, let's say, because I mean, I've actually had the same situation where my furniture has been like, and everything's been held hostage before. So I know that, and I'm like. I went out of my way to, like, leave reviews on Yelp and, like, the Better (laughs) Business Bureau and, like, right? It was, like – But no one's thinking. Like, like, at that point, you're, like, ugh, it's done. Same
0: at a restaurant. Like, when you look at – like, you go and you have a great meal. It's, like, okay, I'm going to leave. No one thinks, like, if you have a good experience, leave a good review so you can help the place. You just want this negative – So, yeah. You know, and I I hadn't
1: even thought about that either, but my wife – will be more likely to leave a positive review somewhere than she will be Mm -hmm. to leave a negative review. She goes, you know, I feel like if people would do research, they could see the positive reviews and know to either approach a place or avoid a place. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when you see that negative review, I know I got feedback about my my social media rant about my moving service, kind of like, hey, are you okay? Is everything okay? It's almost like they wanted to devalue. Yes the negative experience I had with this company and kind of make it something's up with me. Like
0: you're something mentally. So I think, sp- yeah, I know. It's so crazy that people
1: do that. Yeah, and so I think that, uh, but you know, when you talk about, you know, and to kind of hammer this point home, I, I want all the, the young BCBAs or early career BCBAs and graduate students to hear, uh, you know, I was looking, uh, I interviewed for a chief clinical officer position with a much larger agency I won't name, that really offered me more than twice of what I currently make. Wow. And w- when I was kind of considering those options, yeah, I get it. You know, my mom says money doesn't buy happiness, but it smooths over the over the bumps. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you look at, wow, this is a huge agency that's already kind of out of control. Yeah. And what am I What am I going to be doing from day to day mm-hmm. other than just putting out fires all the time? Oh, and is yeah. that what I want to do or do I want to go to a ground, you know, starting a ground level company, mm-hmm. try to infuse that clinical quality from the start and try to replicate it as much as we can? And so I I made a decision, and it's a decision that impacts my family every day. I decided to move to Georgia for a lesser-paying job. Now, the thing about Kim and Apollo is he's always thinking of ways for advancement, not just financial advancement, career advancement. Mm -hmm. Um, He's constantly taking our BCBAs out. Now, how many CEOs are taking their BCBAs out to lunch and say, hey – Tell me where you think you are with your career. What is it that you'd like to see in the next two years, five years, ten Probably
0: years? none, to be honest with you. Yeah.
1: You know, and he's even he's even talked about as we grow, we're we're fast approaching 100 employees now. Wow. He's like, you know, man, this is really, really hard, but I'm, I want to figure out a way to kind of always have a personal feel mm-hmm. with my employees. Yeah. And I think that that's so important because when that doesn't happen, it's almost like you're executive team becomes like this faceless, you know, object. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my gosh, we would do this. But, you know, the executive team mm-hmm. and you, you kind of lose that personal element. And I think that I think is so important. So, yeah, don't, just don't look at the salary. I've lost BCBAs since I've been in administration when I'm like, literally not only are you going to a worse situation, but when you factor in that that yeah they're giving you five thousand dollars more a year, but you have half the PTO you have now, mm-hmm. you know there, there's no 401k.
0: You're also you like going to be miserable in the fact that you are. Does
2: it though? I'm telling you, I'm so sad. I've lived in, like well, like not they also sleeping. say like. To- Someone said they're going to work like literally what Casey said earlier. Someone responded to my that text message exchange I had and said, you know. I worked so hard for my BCBA, but I just put in my notice that I'm leaving and I'm going to work at Target.
0: That's wild. Nothing
2: against Target, but like, like this, like, yeah, it's like I hired a. Are you kidding? You put all that money and effort in to your education, and it's just, I mean, I don't blame that. The passion
1: was there. The passion was there, and it's really upsetting to see an initial experience in the workforce, Mm -hmm. you know, lead to you know a decline in that passion because. Lord knows we need as many passionate people in this field as we can get. Absolutely. But, you know, I I hired a BCBA not too Mm -hmm. long ago. Tremendous BCBA with tremendous training. Mm -hmm. But her experience had been so negative that she goes, you know, literally it was either take this job or go to welding school.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's
1: a lot different. Yeah. You know, and I even had a period Mm -hmm. early in my career where I had kind of had a belly full of some bad experiences And I actually took a college administrator job. I was a dean of students at a small college for just a few years. And, you know, I I used behavior analysis in that job, but then I just had to get back into it. And I learned, you know, I made some really um, unwise career moves solely based on money early in my career And I just kind of had to come back and learn to be super selective. And you look at the demand right now, and it's like you said earlier, Casey, Mm -hmm. they need us more than we need them. You know, and so the thought that, you know, and especially if you you have the ability to even look outside of your state, uh, just the jobs I know, I don't know how I've gotten on every career service that's there, but I get over 20 emails a day, just advertising jobs. Same here, yeah. And so, you know, be super selective, mm-hmm. ask yeah. those questions. Like what is onboarding looking like? Uh, I find, you know, another thing mm-hmm. I think that we're trying to do here. Well, not th- I think we are trying to do here is one of my first big projects at Apollo was to write a detailed clinical manual uh, to really outline. This is how we do business here. This is how we use science in our practice This is how we use RFT. Mm -hmm. Here are the various learner profiles to where you know, hey, I got a two-year-old that can't sit still as poor attending. Well, this is where they're on the pre-learning readiness track to eventually get into RFT programming to kind of have everybody. You still want them to have their own individuality Mm -hmm. in their assessments and do things the way they like to do it, but still we're unified around a, a conceptual and theoretical model to where I want to be able to go, if in years down the road we have twenty locations, I want to go in any one of those and be able to immediately understand what's going on. And I think what I see happening because before I came to Apollo, I went on this kind of Gordon Ramsay kitchen nightmares tour of consulting with clinics, <laughs> and they they would try to bring me in you for forty eight hours. You try to bring me in for 48 hours and it's like, good <laughs> Lord, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And what I see a lot of times is they'll have a clinic with six BCBAs and they're doing all sorts of different things. There's you no standardization,
0: right?
1: Yeah. You yeah. got this one over here that's doing all ABLES assessments. This one's doing VBMAP. This one's doing PEAK. This one's doing kind of a combination of stuff.
0: Faster and an M.A. No yeah.
1: You try to... Then you try to to switch clients and it's like, well, if I'm using Peak and now you're giving me all these Able's data, what, you know, right. am I starting over? For, and, and how I do you really even train your to, RBTs
0: on all of those? Like, think about the people that oh, have yeah. to like run these programs. Like, it needs to be standardized and it needs to be so that anyone can come in at any day and see where they're at and implement it's the program. It's actually
2: wild, and it really is wild. Like, I think about it. Like, let's say you are a Podiatrist, okay. Like you've learned how to take care of feet, whatever it is. You go work at one practice. You're going to be doing the same shit at another one. If someone has an ingrown toenail or whatever it is, plantar fasciitis, (laughs) however you say, I don't know, whatever. Fasciitis. Yeah, I have it. It's
0: fine.
2: (laughs) uh, Okay, you've got planters warts. Okay, (laughs) the difference would be like, oh yeah, we keep our scalpels over here versus over here, right? Yeah. By the way, um. The system we use to keep our notes is this one versus this one. Right? Whatever it is, okay? You could generalize enough when you're in another practice. Right. Dentist, this. I always use dental examples. I'm like obsessed with a dentist or something. But anyways. ABA is like you could go into another clinic. It's not like you're looking for the scalpel somewhere else. Like you're rebuilting like, the entire this? wheel. <laughs> no, you're like,
1: yeah, like no
2: nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh, we use these assessments. We do this. We have this kind of, like, oh, yeah, we have a six data point rule where we, like, if something doesn't happen at six data points, we make a change. We have a three data point rule. Oh, yeah, we don't really graph the data. We decide, like, it's like, what?
1: Like, it's it's actually weird. I I visited a clinic one time where they only were open Monday through Thursday because Friday was their graphing day. I was like, okay, so what is this this day? Well, we take all the data from Monday through Thursday. I'm like... Hold on. <laughs> so a kid can engage in behaviors on a Monday, and you're not even going to look at it until Friday.
0: Until Friday. <laughs> How and, are you even intervening? Yeah, <laughs> and,
1: and you know, uh, one of the biggest problems that I saw in my tour is BCBA. And you know, I don't fault the BCBA. They kind of get. It's like, hey, I'm a brand new BCBA. I'm thrown into yeah. this full caseload, and I'm not given any kind of structural support.
2: Not to mention, I I'm supposed do? to be supervising. I'm also supposed to be supervising.
1: Oh, and then it's like they get no guidance because you 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 know you supervise. We don't call 97155 supervision because right. the AMA doesn't recognize that term. But when you're trying to balance this out, you have to go. A lot of times your payers are looking for that case supervision at 5 or 10%, but then the BACB is looking that you're supervising the RBT at that level. So it's kind of like putting a puzzle together because I might I might nail my case supervision and then look back over the week and say, oh, well, God, I looked at the same tech with all these different clients every single time. Yeah. And so now you've got one RBT with like 20% of their time supervised and all the rest of your team with nothing. Yeah. And so there's a lot here. And so what I've noticed is in the assessment realm, especially it's completely becoming perfunctory. Mm -hmm. It's like not even, it's like a checkoff. It's like, okay, we've done this. Now we'll get the kid in and we'll figure out where they really are. It's like, no, 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 no. We have to have a a very strong conceptual approach to assessment to try and maximize. I'm not trying. And I'm not even saying, you know, we published a paper back in 2019 Looking at using indirect and direct meta instead of just saying, I do the VB map. No, I have kind of a funnel mm-hmm. and I might have lots of different data sources feeding into that funnel to help me learn about the client, the client's repertoire. I'll go into, I'll go into sessions in, in, I've been into sessions in clinics and I'll say, okay, tell me about this client's home life. Uh, well, we interviewed the mom. Okay. Who lives at home with this client? Right. Uh, I don't know. Wait a second. you know, And then you get into some, some legal issues. I visited a clinic in 2019 where there was a dispute between would the child continue treatment or not. And the dispute was between the parents. Well, the parents were divorced. Mom wanted to end treatment. It was dad's insurance. So I said, okay, let's look at the divorce decree. They're like, what? I'm like, wait a second. You brought it. You brought in a divorced family into your clinic, and you did not ask: Is there a standing court order, a divorce decree, something that gives you guidance yeah. on how decisions are made? I said, so what if dad has primary sole physical custody, and mom says no, we're ending treatment, and you discharge the child? Guess what? Yeah. Dad's lawyer may be calling you pretty soon. Mm-hmm. You know? And. Yeah. It's, uh, that all gets to that support. And to me, it's not just a continuation of the clinical mentoring. There's so much we don't learn in graduate school about being a practitioner. These types of things, like how to do, really, I think a BCBA should be able to do a biosocial assessment. Like, what's the dynamics of the home? Who lives at home? Who's interacting with this child? Where, what community settings is the child going into? And then just try to get as many sources of data. Now, some of that's not their fault. We have payers here in Georgia that's like, they only want this one assessment or they want a part of this assessment. I had lunch with a couple of psychologists yesterday and they were telling me how worn out they are with insurance companies asking them to do like a CARS instead of a full diagnostic evaluation. Take this kid who's been diagnosed by somebody else and just give us an updated CARS. And they're like, wait a second, what if we get in there and we don't even agree with the diagnosis? Mm -hmm. And I think on the assessment route, it's really, and I think companies have to do a better job of saying, this is our approach to behavioral assessment. Yes. You know, you're, you're not going to just do things. If you can't give me a reason why this is part of the assessment, mm-hmm. then, it, it, then it's probably useless information. And so I think these are other questions, you know, that BCBAs as they're interviewing for jobs should ask. It's like, tell me what assessment looks like. Am I on my own? Right. Gosh, I wouldn't want to be on my own in a large company and all my clinical director does is come and yell at me about billing No, and I don't have any clinical support or even guidance as to what to do.
0: And like, if you think about it, that to me
1: sounds terrible.
0: When I was in my role um, as a clinical director, um, it was a small agency, but um, my role was not only to. I had to teach myself how to get credentialed, how to even bill insurance, how to run central reach, then train my staff in central reach. Then I had to teach myself how to do the peak assessment. And then how do you create all the stimuli for the peak assessment? Where does it all stay? How do you do that and supervise your RBTs? I was the only one. I was literally, my wheels were spinning. And I felt like that hammer thing again, where I'd be like, if you want to do something, if you want to get shit done, if you want to create it, like for me, because I did, I created all the peak assessments and all the stimuli for our program and, That was something that I was doing like when I had time, but that should be a project that I spend like a month on. Like that's my sole job is like creating those assessments that can be used over and over because the long-term goal of that is much better than the short term of like, if you're not ready for a session, you're not going to get anything from the kid. If you're struggling to find stimuli at a second, like before you start, it's not going to go well for any of you. And the data is going to be shitty and you're not going to get a true reflection of your learner. So like there's so much that exactly BCBAs right. have to know and and teach yourself and you have to be creative and you have to – there's a lot that comes with the job more than just what you learn in grad school. And that's why I think there oh, needs absolutely. to be some kind of one to two year, you're, you're a new BCBA and you're actually underneath another BCBA with like five years experience and they're your person and when you go into a clinic or some, some kind of form of help.
2: No, but also that person that they're under mm-hmm. – If if a if a company is setting something up like that, instead of being obsessed with that person who's overseeing the other BCBAs, providing that mentorship and like also needing to have a full caseload, like you gotta realize, like if their job relies on them billing for them to be able to get paid, Mm -hmm. like how the hell are they gonna like just look at matching law? They're obviously gonna go. Do the stuff that gets them paid as opposed to like yeah. providing that supervision. Like that needs to be someone's sole
0: role. But I also think that what Jim, what Jim's saying is like – or what we're all saying is when you're a BCBA, you have to be very creative. And I will say that when I took my first job, I was offered a $10,000 sign-on bonus. Do you know what that meant to me? Holy crap. Do you know what? Did it make me happy? No. Did it make me sick to my stomach when I was working? Yes. Did I go interview at another job while I was at that job and it was like $20,000 a, $20, a year less – but when I asked them, I was shocked. I'm like, "How do? You, how was the onboarding? It was a, there was a team. I'm like a team of people. Like, wow! I should have just started there. I would have learned so much more and had much better experience. But I went with the money. So don't go with the money. It's not don't worth it. Don't go with it. the
1: money. Yeah, and then we're you spending went to a, study we're...
0: notes and made like eighty thousand dollars less. <laughs> I <know. laughs> then I left all my jobs and I trusted the universe and I was making one hundred and fifty dollars a week teaching a class. That's it. <laughs> Thankfully,
1: it's oh, really trust money. me. I... Trust me, I've I've done that so many times before, and you know, I kind of on a a leap of faith, just kind of moved here uh, to Atlanta. With a, you know, we had one clinic that was half full when I started, a small team of BCBAs, and we're trying to do the same thing. We we've built an entire. Auto, not automated, but uh, uh, onboarding for RBTs based on Keller's personalized system of instruction. Awesome. And so now we have our fifth cohort going through that. We're trying, you know, the thing also is when you make these systems, you have to know that they are living instruments. Yes. They're not perfect. Mm-hmm. And you have to take that program evaluation data as it comes in. Like we had, we looked and we, we're like, we're using the central reach RBT training kind of tied with some learning activities we've built and we've noticed it's like, holy cow, our people are spending a lot of time on reinforcement and token systems, like an inordinately amount of time. And so it allows us to kind of focus in and say, what's really going on? And even some more pragmatic things, like we found in our last cohort of RBTs that people were, we give them schedules of here's when you're on your computer, here's when you're you know, reading our clinical manual. Here's where you're shadowing and getting role play and feedback. And so what we're finding is they go, oh, I got to go and shadow. And they'd leave their computer open and running. Oh. And that's a a HIPAA problem right there. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can never leave your computer open Mm -mm. and unattended. And so, but for companies that just kind of do it on the fly, you you start to learn things. And I think that, you know, one of the big, Uh, attitudes of science Mm -hmm. that I really preach about every day is philosophical doubt. Um, And this constantly questioning, you know, know, can't we do things better? And so what I've noticed that I think a lot of agencies don't really consider is now that we have centralized onboarding and all of us are supposedly – looking at new RBTs in the same manner, Mm -hmm. the amount of agreement we have on the competency assessment is all over the map because what we have here is a training coordinator who reports directly to me. Mm -hmm. So she's hearing, she's hearing my expectations of what is competent and what is not. So she goes in and does her ratings and then we'll get scatter all over the map from the, the actual BCBA when they fill out the competency assessment. So now it's bringing us in to say, okay, we don't want to shoot for minimal competency. We don't want to just get them to pass the test because that test already has like an 87% pass rate. Right. We want them to feel confident on day one. We don't want them going around the kid that will eat them alive and <laughs> will immediately ruin their experience because they'll be like, is this the job I signed up for? No, we want them to know, okay, I'm not fluent yet, but I got this, yeah. I got this, I know what I'm doing. Totally. And so it's really led us to questions such as, hey, you know, if you're kind of weak saucing in on the competency assessment, and just trying to be, you know, the nice person, you're probably not doing that trainee any favors.
0: No. Oh, no. no. You're not. Just letting them get by. I agree with even the RBT competency when I was conducting them with my RBTs. Like, I would want them, hey, this is like base, base, base. This means like, If you can do this with me, great. We're role-playing because a lot of it you can role-play. But I'm like, we need to like get in on the floor, go out in the community with these adults. I need to see how you react and how you control because there's elopement in adults that we worked with and this is real life shit. It's not just a piece of paper that you're passing. I need to see you confidently do it without me.
1: Yeah. And you know, with this, you know, we kind of look at it as our approach is the, the personalized system of instruction gives us the instruction part of BST. But mm-hmm. uh, I published a study with, with some of my employees a few years ago where we specifically looked at mm-hmm. within session feedback and post session feedback. Mm-hmm. And hey, they both worked. But we were getting folks to mastery on average two and a half hours faster by giving them in-session feedback. Wow! Now you put dollars to to that. Mm-hmm. If every trainee you can you can not only get them, and we found that the acquisition rates were greater with in-session feedback. If you can be more effective and that much more ine- uh, efficient with your training, how much money will that save you? Okay. Not just in your training, but when you put that trainee out in the sessions mm-hmm. and now they're you know, it also you – know, and you said earlier about turnover. I think that's probably a metric we look at as importantly as anything mm-hmm. because it's not just the loss of an employee. It's the loss of continuity for a family, to- for a client. Yeah. And it's expensive to train an RBT. Totally. Totally. You know, and so, um, you know, we really take a strong and we have really great retention so far. I can't quote the metric off the top of my head, but I've been here eight months now and I can count on one hand the employees we've lost That's and awesome. still have a couple of fingers left over. Um, and Lucky. it's just all in what are you investment into your training and into your culture. Yes. And then just saying, hey, I think BCBA should also be told with philosophical doubt include your own decision making not self doubt but sc- good skepticism Healthy i know skepticism. I, I, I told my, I've told i told my team we have a weekly meeting on every monday to kind of start the week out it's actually every two every two weeks uh, and i told them you know i've been doing this for 25 years and while you might think that that experience is invaluable and for the most part it is i'm very biased if i'm not careful yeah. I'll look at a behavior for five minutes and I'll go, okay, I know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, well, we don't need to do this because obviously, you know, it's like I heard a doctor tell me one time when you've seen the common cold a million times, you don't have to, or the flu, you don't have to test for it. I think that's dangerous mindset and behavior analysis. Yes, I agree. And so I tell them all the time, hey, I'll, I'll go in, I'll watch a client with them, I'll give some hypotheses. I'm like, but hey... I might be wrong. So now let's take part of 97155 because that code requires an interaction with the tech, and interaction with the client, and let's uh, tinker with behavior. Steve Hayes wrote uh, a great methodology book for practitioners back in the 90s. They, t- they talked about tinkering with behavior. I call it probing. Hey, before you go and build whole new systems for whole new teaching protocols and all this material generation... Spend five or ten minutes and probe it out mm-hmm. and see what see what's happening and also take the veil of your protocol away from your eyes. Stop looking at it as what you think should be happening and what is the client actually discriminating. Yeah. Absolutely. What are the contingencies that are actually in place, not what you intend to be in place, what's actually happening right in front of you.
0: Totally. And you know and what's I think funny? that comes
1: with a level of mentoring and support.
0: And uh totally, and it actually wraps us up to where We had you on on episode 54. We talked about philosophical doubt is healthy skepticism. And so we are still two years later preaching that. And we hope that all of you guys out there listening can have some take away from this episode the fact that you are very wanted and your education matters. And being a BCBA is amazing if you find the right company. Do not let the passion go because you're chasing the money. And I have one more thing to say, Jim, and it's just a funny little... I was looking back at our um, show notes from episode 100 where we kind of went through, like, Liat's favorite, Casey's favorite, um, different questions. And I was laughing. Uh, (laughs) One of the questions was, most um, intimidated to interview? And my answer was you. Like, I I was so scared (laughs) to interview you. And now when I met you, and again, after that episode, I was like, he's just a real guy. And, like, same thing. Like, you went through a divorce. I literally –
2: I'm also, like, thinking –
0: Shout out to Kim Dean. Like, does he realize
2: how lucky he is to have you?
1: Oh, well, I think <laughs> this feeling I hope he
2: tuned in. To, I mean, like, you're the real effing deal.
0: Yeah, you really are. Awesome. Like, well, you're really great. We love I, you, and we appreciate. All I appreciate your that. And I think anyone working with you is very, very, very lucky. Um, everyone out there, again, don't lose hope. Um, this is a great mentor episode. We haven't even talked about one thing we actually talked about in our interview. That's right. Which is <laughs> w- which maybe we'll do maybe another. Maybe we'll another do a one. third one, Jim, about uh, mental um, physical quietness. Hey, and and remember
1: everyone, and remember everyone, Atlanta is a great place to live. Hell yeah. If, you, if you're interested in looking for jobs, come in, come and find this. This
0: episode is sponsored by Apollo. I'm just getting to <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> All right, Jim, thank you so much for coming back on. We love thank it. You and too. we'll do a third one on the actual thing that we talked about in our pre-interview. <laughs> Good. That, that gives us another one to put in our bank. Exactly. Amazing.
1: Hey, that sounds great to me.
2: All right, guys. You know where to find us. You can catch us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast. Go to our website, behaviorbitches.com. If you have anything to say or topics you want us to cover or if you're cool or you know someone cool, while you're at it, go leave us a five-star review in the Apple
0: Podcast. Nothing against Androids. It's just like those are the ones we count. And also um subscribe to our newsletter on behaviorbitches.com. You will be getting sneak peeks every other Monday when we don't record into what next week's gonna be. So we're so excited for that. The newsletter's growing. Um, we're excited and this episode rocked. So thanks, Jim.
1: Thanks for having me again.
0: Guys, thanks for tuning in.
2: As always, love ya. Mean it.